So it's good to see you guys. If this is your first time at Fathom, let me just welcome you here. And I, I pray that this can really just be a, a place for you to grow in faith and in family. And uh, we, we start in, we're starting kind of like the, the back stretch, if you will, uh, or the back nine, if you're a golfer, uh, the, or the back stretch here of our uh, first three series of the year, Go Make Disciples, to just further embody our mission statement here, which Jesus gave to us as disciples of his, Matthew 28, 19, 20, just go make disciples. And so we're, we're really, for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is really dive into some stories, I think, that are really powerful of these, these regular guys that, who, that Jesus called and, and used, and he really developed them. Some of them have really great high moments, and then some of them have really low moments. And so we're going to begin to look at some of those over the next few weeks, and we're going to cap it all off, this kind of three-month journey um, with this incredible event called Here for Good. You're going to be hearing a lot more about that later today, as well as in the next few weeks as we prepare for this incredible opportunity just to serve and love on our community. So I'm really excited about that. That's coming up March 30th again. Um, I have a, a younger brother. His name's Scott. He's 15 months younger than me. And when we were kids, we looked exactly alike. And it wasn't until we were probably in I re- probably will, really until I started growing my hair out um, when I was like 15, and it got really long, and he, he, and then he got taller than me. That's like probably when he surpassed me, maybe a few years, or, year, uh, years before that. Um, but we looked exactly like mom dressed us. Anybody got siblings like this, you were dressed like everything. You know, we were matching. We had the same like bleached blonde hair. I mean, we, we were inseparable. We went everywhere, did everything together. And I, I'm the older brother, so of course he was following me around everywhere, and that got on my nerves, because we were 15 months apart. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have been better if we were twins, but we sure fought, like, I mean, like nobody's business. I mean, like sticks, brooms, whatever was closest to us, the other was going to get hit with. Um, and that really started after this moment that I'm about to share with you. Um, we had this couch. It was like this weird blue color of a couch, and the springs in it were incredible. Uh, that's the sign of a really bad couch. It's like, it really like springs you up. Like you sit down, you try to sit down and it like shoots you back up. And, and so um, I learned this when I was a kid that I could do really cool tricks over it. Um, when I went and jumped out and I would jump on this and I'd put my hands on it and I, I thought it was like Summer Olympics or the gymnastic, some kind of gymnastic thing and I would jump on it and I would do like a cool trick over it, like, like a heel grab or something and then land on the other side. And so it kind of just became a fun thing that I really enjoyed doing. And then we, um, then my brother had to copy it. And his first time, he goes to do it, and he jumps, and he breaks his arm going over it. First time that he tried it. So, um, so in our house, we didn't say, if your brother jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off? It's, if your brother jumps over the couch, are you going to do it too? You know, because I was just this bad example that showed him how to break his arm. So um, that was really kind of our story. But he followed me. And each one of us, we've had people in our life that are maybe a little bit ahead in the journey. And we look at them and we mimic them. We follow them. We, we copy them in certain ways. And there's probably someone maybe that came up right behind you. Maybe that was in the grade before, a couple of years younger than you. A young cousin or a coworker that came on. You kind of took under your wing. That kind of followed you. And we kind of have these relationships on either side. And so this journey that we're going to take on disciples, we're going to begin to look at really just one of them today. 
and really his call to follow Jesus. And I think we're going to find some really interesting things. And what I, I love, so it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more in the line of a, um, a character study, if you will. And, and so it's going to be a little bit different approach than what I often have kind of drawn to of just kind of walking through the text. So we're going to walk through it up front and then just kind of unpack it um, after we kind of read through it. So we're going to start with, uh, I, I figured it first, we're going to start with do the disciples what better one to start with than the first one? Like, let's start with the first disciple, and let's kind of see his story. And it's interesting, because his name is Andrew, um, and, and a lot of people say there's not a lot we know about Andrew. Like, how could you really unpack that and even say a whole message on Andrew? I th- and, and I honestly think, I think there's a lot we can learn from Andrew. I think we're actually, many of us are going to find ourselves really identifying with Andrew in our personal lives, where we're at. So as we get into this, I think you can just find it so applicable to your everyday life, where you're at, uh, your work, your home life, uh, so many different places in which Andrew's life can really speak to us. Um, and, and so we're going to be going into really two texts. We're briefly going to go through each one of them. And we're going to go to the Gospels, the first four, book of, uh, first four books of the New Testament. Uh, and, and the Gospels are, are basically the narrative of Jesus' life where it shows us miracles and there's there's different authors of each one of these that, that kind of share. Um, um, Luke and Acts are probably the same, but Acts isn't necessarily considered a, a gospel. It's kind of after what happens after uh, Jesus uh, leaves the earth. So again, we'll, we're going to be looking at Matthew and, and John. And one of the interesting things about the gospels is that many times they tell the same story, but they tell it differently. And so to really kind of understand what's going, going on, you have to know kind of the author you know, how many different books have you read? And every author has its own style. And we believe that, that these were God-inspired, that God inspired them. He helped bring everything into remembrance and exactly how God really intended for us to receive it here today, that he inspired them to just to pin it. And there's a, a, there's a lot of, um, I, I don't want to call it messiness, but there's a, a lot of things that I think we have to understand about the makeup of the text, and if you're really interested in that, wanting to know what, what this Bible is, how it even got here, and, and then and really how we apply it to our life, how we read through it. This summer, we're going to kind of be diving into some of those things uh, in a series called My Summer Body, so you can look forward to that. So um, we're going to go in and start with Matthew, and then quickly move to John, because Matthew is just a very small text, but, and we'll kind of unpack who Andrew is and his whole story as we read this. So let's first go to uh, Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to begin and we're very early on in Jesus' ministry. And uh, so very early in Matthew, like the, the first chapter is like the genealogy. Like there's a lot of son of Jesse, a lot of son of David. Just the whole line from Abraham to Jesus. Like giving the whole genealogy how it gets to this point. Um, which is really interesting. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 is the birth of Jesus. Chapter 3 is this, guy, this new guy that breaks on the scene called John the Baptist. It's Jesus' cousin. And he's beginning to preach even, even before Jesus does. And so he's kind of prepared what we know as preparing the way for Jesus to come. And at the very end of chapter 3, we see that Jesus is baptized himself. And that, that launches us into chapter 4 where his, really his ministry starts. And you know, people you know, often you know, put the, uh, the wedding at Cana, for some of you that are familiar with what I'm talking about. It's kind of the first thing. But I think there's some things that even are, are taking place before that right now. And it's his baptism. Um, and it's his baptism right here, okay? So we see his baptism at the end of chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 4, we see that Jesus is led out into a wilderness, like a desert place, and he fasts for 40 days, 40 nights, like not eating anything, like 
That's intense. Like, so he, he goes out in this wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. So he, before he starts a ministry, before he starts preaching, before he has anybody following him, first of all, he's baptized. The next, he fasts for a really long time. And then he's tempted and like really tested in the wilderness. And I think this is important because so many of us, like, you know, maybe we feel like we have a call in our life to, to, to be a missionary or to preach or, or, or whatever it might be or to be in the business, you know, market and we're just ready to just go preaching. But, you know, I think it's interesting to, to see Jesus, what happens in Jesus' life before he starts preaching, before he has anyone following him, is A, he's baptized. Next, he's tested and he's fasting in that time. And so that's before he begins preaching. So he begins preaching on repentance. And then where we're going to pick up here in verse 18 um, is, is where really some people start following him. And uh, here we see him calling people out. So as Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and the guy we're going to be focusing on today, and his brother Andrew. Uh, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I, I wonder how much they understood what he just asked them to do. Like, drop everything, follow me. Um, I'm not much of a fisherman. You probably could have guessed that. Um, but we were sitting at, at lunch the other day, and uh, I was uh, having lunch with Benai, our worship leader, and, and he pulled up this picture of a fish um, that was huge in, in my estimation. It was enormous. It was like the size of a human. He goes, this isn't a really a big one, but here's a fish. Because he, he does spear fishing. Like most of us know like, like kind of casting that. And, and really what they did back then was really like just you know, throw, casting a net. Um, which to me is the easiest like, way of fishing. Like, I'll just throw this net out. I hope we get it here. And like what Benaya does is like the hardest type of fishing, in my opinion, which he like dives down. He's like going to look that fish in his face and he's going to shoot him with a spear gun. Like, that's the most intense. It's way more intense than what these guys are doing. I'm like, oh, we'll toss it over. Like, this will be good. Um, like, going down there, I'm going to look that fish in his eye and shoot it. And so, and, and his, this fish, he's like, it's, oh, it's just a small. And then he pulls up another one. I'm like, dude, that's not small. It's the size of a human. He pulls up his own. It's even bigger. I'm like, that's nuts, man. But anyway, so you can get a picture of what these guys were out doing, their livelihood. So it wasn't just recreational fishing like it is for probably everybody in this room. But this was their livelihood. So Jesus is asking them to, to leave that. And so in that, that bumper video, what, what we saw really was people having to, to maybe leave some things behind in order to follow Jesus. Um, it says, come follow me. And, and so again, what he's saying here is, I'll send you out to be fishers of, of men or to fish for people. He's saying, look, becoming a disciple, following me isn't just about that. It's also, it's learning to make disciples. It, it's learning to reach people and connect with people that, that he could be uh, glorified in that. So again, that's what we see here in this text. And I think there's verse 20, do we have verse 20 up there as well that, that we can read? quickly. At once they left their nets and they followed him. I mean, just like incredible faith. So let's bounce quickly to John chapter 1, very beginning. Uh, John doesn't really go like narrative, like bam, 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 straight uh, chronologically, uh, like Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke do. But um, we do, it is a gospel and it is telling the story of Jesus. So let's move on to, to John chapter 1, um, verse 35. We're going to read a handful of verses here. And it's easy, it'll be very easy, because I told you, they tell the same story, right? A lot of these gospel writers, they tell the same story, but sometimes there's real differences, and I think at first we could say, oh, these exact same happening, but I think we'll notice by the end of it, this is probably a different situation here. 
the next day, John was there again with two of the disciples. So again, these guys are following John. John had disciples. He had followers before Jesus had even busted onto the scene. That's why John baptized him. So when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. You got to see, John's ministry was always pointing to Jesus. He was telling his disciples that, look, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to tie his like, shoes. I'm not even worthy to tie up his sandals because that's how amazing he is. So immediately, John's ministry was wanting to point people to Jesus. So when he saw Jesus coming, he's like, look, this is the one. And I love that the word lamb is used before Jesus is ever sacrificed. Which is, it's, it's John's belief in the prophecies that would be fulfilled through Jesus, his own cousin. It's amazing. When two disciples, they heard him, they say this, um, they followed Jesus. So immediately, like these guys, they just heard him say this, these two guys. And again, because we, we see Peter and Andrew in the other text, I think we can immediately make these Peter and Andrew but it's not Peter and Andrew. It's Andrew and somebody else, most likely. So, um, they, and they immediately followed Jesus. So Jesus didn't say, come follow me. Go, go back to verse 36. Let's make sure we catch this. The other, look, the Lamb of God. He's just like, there he is. These guys, like, at once, they just like, okay, I'm going to follow him. One of my favorite verses um, in this text, in this teaching today, is hilarious to me in just a couple of verses. Tw- uh, 37, let's go to 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, I, I think this is hilarious and like amazing at the same time, where Jesus is like, turns around, he didn't ask them to come, they started following him, and he's like, what do you want? <laughs> I mean, I feel like this kind of puts me in the brain of like what I said to my brother, like, dude, what do you want? Get off my back. Like, and so I kind of just, I don't think Jesus was that frustrated with him, but he asked him this really straightforward question, like, what do you want? So when I read this, I'm like, Jesus couldn't possibly like have come off like that, so like, let me look at the Greek, it probably was like a weird translation. And yeah, it means like, what do you want? It means what do you want is, is what it means. Uh, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you, where are you, where are you going? I think this is, is a couple of things. One, uh, it was very a big deal to take care of a guest when they were in your town. So I think, one, they wanted to serve Jesus. They were ready to go ahead and just serve. They wanted to take care of it. Was an, it was an honor to have someone like this in your house, especially recognized as the Messiah, and, and Jesus doesn't give them the easy answer, which is what we want, when, when often, we, hey God, what are you doing with my life, God, where are you going, like where are you taking me, where am I going to be in five years, where am I going to be in ten years, twenty years, where, where are you going, Jesus, where are you going to lead me, and we want the easy answer of, oh, here's where we're going, but Jesus doesn't usually give us the easy answer, he says, just come, and you'll see. Like, isn't that a very fun answer? One of my favorite types of books when I was growing up was the Choose Your Own Adventure books. You guys know what I'm talking about? Most of the people don't know what I'm talking about when I say that. But I love those because it was just like I get to create my own book. It was kind of fun. And so I love this idea of adventure and, most importantly, faith that Jesus is inspiring these disciples from the very beginning is come follow me and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent about a day with him, uh, and it was four in the afternoon. Let's continue. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, so again, talking about Andrew, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. No prompting, no like, at this moment, it doesn't seem that anyone's been like, hey, Andrew, come on. He, Jesus came by, John pointed him out, and Andrew got up and walked, and he had followed Jesus, and so did the other one. 
um, it, but it doesn't really refer who that was. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. So if this was Andrew and Peter, like Andrew wouldn't have to go tell his brother about the situation. So it seems as if this text is, is possibly something that happened right before this other one um, that we looked at in Matthew. We found the Messiah, that is Christ. And so some of you already know the significance of who Peter is, and he would be the one of the disciples that Jesus goes to and says, I'm going to build my church on you. And so that's like an intense thing. So here, Andrew has introduced his brother and kind of brought him. He's here, like the one that we've been waiting for. We found the Messiah, that is Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means, which when translated is Peter. So he gets his identity from Jesus because really Andrew's introduction. So I think it's two different things. And so I want to unpack what a lot of this text is really telling us in a very practical form that deals with us on, on our daily, daily lives. Uh, and, and the first thing I think that we can learn from Andrew, so if you're wanting to dive in and, and take some notes today, now's like a really great time because we're just going to begin to unpack some of this. The first thing I think that we can learn from Andrew here is to, to learn to be a lead follower. Learn to be a lead follower. So many of us want to just lead. We, you know, we want to just take the lead or we want to criticize those who, who lead. But really what I, I think we see in Andrew, the incredible, incredible example that he sets for us is he's just willing to follow. Like he's looking to serve. Like where are you going? Like what, what's happening? I don't think his intentions were all about, oh, I need to know everything. He had already, he's already leaving. And we see that example. He's leaving everything. But I think ultimately it's about him wanting to serve Jesus and take care of him. So we see this immediate, like, I'm here to serve. I'm here to follow from him. So I think we have to choose to be a lead follower because I think this generation is really filled with people who, who want to criticize those who lead, but we ourselves, we're not, we don't even know how to follow well, let alone lead well. So I, I think we've just got to be really bought into the idea of leading, uh, of following well. Because the, the truth of the matter is, is that if we want to lead one day, if we have aspirations to do something in the, the kingdom of God, we've got to learn to serve. That's the model Jesus gave us. He said, if you want to be first, plan on being last. Um, if you really want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to learn to serve. And Jesus is an incredible example of that. And, and ultimately, I think in our generation, like we don't know what loyalty and honor is. And so I think that's a real element of, of learning to follow well. Follow the lead of Jesus is, is loyalty and honor. Like honoring him in, in everything that we do and just bringing extreme loyalty to the cause of Christ. We're so fickle in our generation. And we don't know what, what these things are. We don't know what loyalty and, and, and real honor is. But I, I think really learning to, to be a lead follower is, the, is really the key of, uh, one of the keys I think that we can learn from Andrew. I think he, he displays that. He's just ready to do what God asked him to do. Um, so I, I think we've got to really grab a, a hold of that in our brains and what it really means to follow well. Don't get caught up in leading, just learn to follow. Like, just learn to follow, and really Paul's, you know, proclamation was, just follow me as I follow Christ. Like, let's do this thing together. Like, I'm going to set, I'm going to do the best I can to set a great example for what it means um, to, to really, to really serve in the kingdom of God. And I think we, we, we ourselves have to just buy into that faithfulness that comes with just being faithful 
in, in the little things. And I think that kind of leads us up to our, the next thing that we can really learn from Andrew is one, have your priorities straight. Have your priorities straight because it makes our decisions easier and it makes life more meaningful. It makes our decisions easier and it makes life more meaningful. Um, when I was, and I, I, I see this in Andrew's life um, because of this. Like it, it wasn't really hard for him to leave John to follow Jesus. It wasn't hard. Like he didn't even like have to think about it. like, oh, that's what I do. I think he understood what John said because there were some that kept wanting to follow John. There were some other disciples that people wanted to follow them and they were just continually, no, 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 you gotta follow Jesus. Like, just follow, that's why Paul said what he said, just follow me as I follow Christ. And so they're always pointing that direction. So it was not easy, it wasn't hard for him to leave this because it made all his decisions easier. He had his priorities in line. Christ was first. He is here who I'm here to serve. He is here who I'm here to, to follow ultimately. And I think it makes life more meaningful because, again, when our priorities in line, I think God fulfills just our greatest desires, our deepest desires. When I was um, real young in, in ministry, like full-time ministry, uh, for those of you that don't know my parents, um, we're in full-time ministry uh, uh, most of my life, and my wife as well, both uh, her parents were in full-time ministry their entire lives. And um, so we kind of just grown up around it, but, but when I was just first um, thrown into it, and this was like my life, everything I was doing when I got out of college, my, my, my office um, was two doors from the front door. And, and the community of the church that I served in was, um, uh, it was just a pretty low-income area, a lot of government housing, right, um, in, on, the, on our street there. And uh, this is really where I de- uh, developed a, a really, um, you know, great love for the show Cops, um, because I, I, there was like a private eye that camped out in my front yard a lot of times, you know, uh, investigating the activity going on across the street, um, which you, you, it's not a joke, I'm serious, like that's really where I learned to like cops, because I saw it happening in my front yard, um, but I, I think ultimately, I, so my, my office right there was just a very transient community between two exits on interstate, so there's a lot of homeless population, a lot of people just looking for help, and so constantly at our door, eight to ten times a day, there was someone knocking on the door looking for help, and um, I love that. Like, that was like, God had just really given me a passion just uh, to reach people down and out. Um, but here I am, like, working at, at a church, and, and like, I'm, I'm paid, paid to lead people in worship and preach and do things like this that take a, a lot of time to prepare. And so here I am, constantly having my energy have to shift from what I'm doing right now here. And so it was very tough. So I, I began to have to really pray through this priorities thing. And, and my hours were, were strapped. I was working, I was busier than I'd ever been in my entire life. Uh, and still now, um, you know, so I, I really had to know my priorities because everything seems so difficult to decide. Well, should I do this or should I do that? Sh- should I stop and, and take this person down to the the shelter and find them food and, and do all of these things or, or God, like, if I don't do, get some time to prepare, like, it's going to be a nightmare on Sunday and people are going to realize it's going to be a, a nightmare the next time we get together. So I really had to start praying through, God, help me, like, with my priorities. And what I learned is that when I began to get my priorities in line, understand what the Bible asked for me, one, I, it made everything easier, but it also wasn't just clear cut. Like, like, we like to do, like, this, psh, like just kind of this nice flow of our priorities, and, and we can do that. I've written those lists a dozen times. 
and, and, you know, I, but I think ultimately getting those things in line and really putting Christ, letting him have it all, is really the key. It's not saying, okay, now Christ, you're first, which I believe he should be first, but it's saying, God, you can have all. All of these. I want you to be the blanket in which now uh, my family's a priority. Why are they a priority? Because God's put me there to lead them. Because God's inspired me. Not because I got to pay the bills. No, but because God's put me in that place. Like I, I, my, my, my work's a priority because I want to be a good witness there because Christ has inspired me. You let God breathe into the rest of your priorities as opposed to just sticking in this list, but you let God breathe into every aspect of life. So having, I think it makes decisions and it makes life more meaningful. I'm a better parent now, not because I've learned a a certain amount of things. I think because I'm allowing God into my life. I think that's, that's a key element for us today is to allow him into our life. And, And I think obedience and faithfulness are only difficult when our priorities aren't in line. I think for Andrew, his priorities were in, were in line so that when Jesus had come follow me, which was probably like out of the blue, I don't know that he was really ready for that, like for this moment, especially if Peter being with him, like leave, like leave that, come follow me, like leave everything you know. I'm gonna teach you to be a, a fisher of men. But I think his, his priorities, is, he was, it was easy for him to obey because his priorities were in line. Christ had it all already. So it was easy for him to follow. And I think some of us, we never feel completely whole because I don't think we've ever wholly given ourselves to Christ. We haven't given him every area of our life. The reason we don't really feel inspired at work, I don't think is because we hate what we're doing. I think because we're boxing God out of that. I used to play basketball. Again, contrary to popular belief. I used to play basketball even even though I'm I'm short and you probably wouldn't expect that. Um, But I, I was a guard Again, as you could guess. Um, and I, I never had to deal much with rebounding. That was not my forte as a short white dude. Um, but I, I was always on the other side. But something I definitely learned, you know, in my basketball days was something called boxing out. Some of you guys are familiar with this. And, and so when they shoot a free throw, everybody know what a free throw is? Tracking it with me. Um, and, and so they just, you know, take the free, sh- it's a free shot, okay? And so then there's this lane in which, like, it's closest to the goal. And so, like, the tallest guys, these are the best guys that are best at rebounding, they line up on what they call the lane, the outside of the lane. And when the ball, if it goes in, okay, the next team has it and they can, you know, continue on with their play. But if it doesn't go in, then you kind of fight for a rebound. And the technique that they teach these big guys and really all basketball players is to box out. And so let's, let's pretend like the basket's right here and I'm kind of standing here. Okay, you guys with me? And, and there's another guy here. If I want to get in the best position to grab the ball and like either score or, or take it the other, other way, I, I'm going to do something called boxing out. And it's a matter of putting your butt on somebody in your hip and basically knocking them out of the way with as much muscle as you can. So you've got to have a, a nice caboose to be a really good, nice full caboose to really knock somebody out and really know how to box out and rebound. And, and some of us are such good boxer outers, but what we don't realize is, is that who we're boxing out of our life is Christ. We're, creep, we're keeping the source of life out of our habits and our routines of life. And I think we've got to break through that. We've got to break through this idea of boxing Christ out of the areas of our life that he wants to get into. 
He, he wants to breathe life into the intimacy in your marriage. He wants to breathe life into your work relationships and your work conversations. At the dinner table, he wants to breathe life into you as a parent to speak into your children, but we just box them out. We feel something, we see an opportunity, but we, we box them out. And I think this is something that Andrew has intact. Like he's ready to serve, he's ready to follow, and be resourceful with what's right in front of you. And we're going to look more at that here in just a second. And some of us, we just don't, we don't feel whole because we've never wholly given ourselves to Christ. We're not letting him breathe into all of the aspects of our life. And I'll just tell you this, I used because I used to do this, quit drawing lines in the sand. Quit drawing lines in the sand. You, you, you can't just say, God, you can have this part, but you can't have that part. We're keeping the source of life out. Quit drawing lines in the sand. Let God breathe into it. Because um, I, I really believe that's where life gets more meaningful. And I believe life becomes a lot less stressful. Like, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know 85, 90% of you, if I, I, I asked you, said, do you feel stressed somewhere in your life? Is there an area you feel stressed? We'd all, no matter what you're going through, I think we'd raise our hand and say, yeah, I do. And I, I, th- I think this can breathe some life into that area, some energy to just make our decisions easier. I don't know, God. Like, and so the, the skill I learned in that office setting for me that I had to learn was something uh, that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. So if this is resonating with you, look up Galatians chapter 5. The very end talks about the fruits of the Spirit. But he talks about something else known as walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. Our first point was being a lead follower. And some of that's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's hard when you're the only person in your family that believes. When you're the only person in your office building that believes in Christ. It's hard to be a lead follower. But some of you can easily identify with that because that's your life. But know that the Holy Spirit gives us power. Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead, the Trinity. And, and, and know that he gives us power. Acts 1.8 says you know, the Holy Spirit will come and, and bring power into our life so that you can be witnesses all over the world. And, and I think it, it rolls right into the, the next part of having your priorities straight because that power helps us in, in understanding that our theology being in line, that Christ has it all. We haven't drawn lines in the sand. It really makes life so much more meaningful. So be a, choose to be a lead follower like Andrew. And then I think have your priorities straight so it's not hard. It's not hard for me anymore to say, no, I can't take that engagement. My family needs me. It's not hard for anymore to say, you know, no, I can't go to this event. I can't do this. Saying no is a hard thing. But sometimes you've got to say no to say yes to what's most important. And that's being who God's created you to be. And again, that looks, I don't want to use the word messy, but that looks different on a daily basis. That's what, why you walk in the spirit and you ask God, what does it look like right now to be, for me to be most faithful to you? Because sometimes that means I'm leaving the country for two weeks and I'm not going to see my family. And like that's, that's obedience. But sometimes that means no, we're canceling this event because I need to be with my family. <laughs> I'm canceling this meeting because I need to be with my family. It looks different. That's why we walk with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. What do you ask for us in that time to be obedient? Okay, so choose to be a lead follower. Have your priorities straight. It makes life easier and more meaningful. And the third thing I, I think is about faith, and it's about faith 
fullness. And if the band will come, uh, we're going to begin to close. I think faithfulness is about being full of faith as much in the little things as it is the big things. It's about being faithful in the little things as as it is the big things. Some of us kind of have this idea that we'll make this giant leap of faith one day out of nowhere, you know, we'll make a jump out of the boat, but when we haven't really begun to do just the little things on a daily basis that of what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. I, I love Andrew because, again, I think he's just, he's faithful. He's really, really faithful. There's a great scene in which Jesus feeds the multitude. If you've never read this story, you've probably heard about it. Jesus feeds a multitude, thousands of people, thousands of people that Jesus feeds. And uh, Jesus has been teaching and and. They're getting ready to send the disciples. Like, let's just send everybody home. Like, everybody's hungry. Like, we'll just let them get out of here. And Jesus is like, no, this is a great opportunity. And, um, and Andrew, I, I'm imagining every people, um, all the other disciples are really kind of looking around like, I don't know what we should do. But it's Andrew. Andrew that points out a little kid that's got some loaves and he's got a couple of fish. Thousands of people, granted. Okay. So one or two things is happening here as Andrew points out and brings this kid forward with five loaves and two fish. One or two things. A, he's stupid. It's always an option. Or what I really believe is that he had incredible faith. He had incredible faith. He's the one that said, God, this one right here. Did did he perform the miracle? Did he like start chopping things up? I, I don't No, God, Christ did. God did. But I think he was willing to believe. I think his faith. I just kind of wonder what God felt in that moment. Christ felt in that moment as he just said, yeah, yeah, dude, let's do this. One guy said, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And so many of us, Christians, and I don't get it. We have the hope that is in Christ, and yet some of us are so pessimistic. Blows my mind. And frankly, I, I just think we really need to have an encounter with Jesus. Because he wants us to have hope for this life. And, and I really b- believe that means just believing without seeing. I, I think it's believing that God can do things with these opportunities. They're opportunities and not obstacles. I think that's what Andrew had within him. And there may be some things going on in your life right now that feel like obstacles simply they're opportunities. And God's just looking, not for someone to, you know, just make fish and loaves fall from the sky. I think he's looking for someone to just be faithful in the little things. Say, hey, there's a kid here. You can feed somebody, <laughs> you know, and you, I bet you could kind of cut it up really well, Jesus, with your carpentry skills to, like, feed everybody. <laughs> sushi, we'll do sushi. Sorry. I'm not funny. I try to be funny, but I'm not funny. He just is looking for someone to just be faithful in the little things. Some of us, like we're ready for a promotion, we're ready for a raise, but we never get there on time. Like, how can we ever expect to get a promotion or a raise? We're begging for that, and we're mad at them because they don't, but we don't even show up on time. When he tells us to do things, we don't do it. I'm talking about being faithful in the little things. And I think that's what Andrew kind of models, like this initiative to follow well, to honor and serve Jesus in whatever capacity he might have for us. And to, yeah, I think he has this priority straight where it was no big deal. And I think he understands Christ wants to breathe life and everything. And extremely resourceful, extremely resourceful. 
to just see opportunities where others see obstacles. I think there's a lot we can learn from Andrew that maybe we don't see there's a lot there, but I think there's a lot here that can breathe life in, in, into us today. There's so much, there's so much. And, and ultimately, um, Andrew's life ends pretty intensely, as many of the disciples did. Some of you probably already infer what I'm, I'm speaking about. Andrew died as a martyr. He, he gave his life for Christ. I mean, his, not like, oh, I, I'll give you a couple hours Sunday, and, and I'll, I'll walk with you on ministry. We'll go on a short-term mission trip. No, like, he, he died. He died for the cause of Christ. There's people all over this world that are dying for the cause of Christ. I love the humility that comes out in Andrew's death. Because they wanted to crucify him just like they crucified Jesus. I want just the uh, you know, regular cross that, that we're familiar with. <laughs> I'm not even worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So he had them form his kind of last will, last testament, was crucify me in an X. Just don't crucify me like Jesus. So he suffers. Some stories tell us that he, he didn't die immediately, but he suffered for two days. <laughs> like this. Suffering for the cause of Christ. And the entire time he just kept preaching Jesus <laughs> from his cross, his X-shaped cross. I think his faithfulness in the beginning, his faithfulness to leave led him to what is a pretty ugly place but I think it's also the most beautiful place that we could ever experience on the face of this planet. Let's give our lives holy for Christ. And you're not being persecuted. You may feel like you're being persecuted right now. Like, let's just put it in perspective. I think perspective helps a lot of things. And I'm, not, I'm not belittling anything you're going through persecution-wise, okay? I hope no one feels that. But ultimately, I, I think perspective can really give us a deep breath, a moment of peace. Someone else's pain can really breathe life into our pain right now. And maybe you've got some of that. Maybe it's in your marriage. Like things are as, as dry as they can be. Uh, maybe it's at work and you feel like you're the only one all the time. Or maybe it's at home and you feel like you're the only one all the time. Maybe it's work is so stressed and you can't balance, you can't juggle anymore. I think these lessons from Andrew just wants to breathe life into our work life, breathe life into our home life, breathe life into our spirit. As we stop boxing Christ out and just let the source of life into our life. Just let him breathe into it. Andrew's faithful. He's faithful. I don't have a whole lot of negative to say. We're going to look at some guys in the next couple of weeks and like, <laughs> things get rough, okay? But I just wanted to press us on to faithfulness in Jesus, to learn to follow well, be loyal and honor him, get our priorities, let God speak into them, and be faithful in the little things and know that he's gonna bless that. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray if we will. Christ, help us to get a real vision for what it looks like to be a disciple. Help us to have this Christ-like, this Andrew-like servant attitude, God. Be willing to serve in whatever capacity and just be faithful.
in the little things and know that, God, you can do big things through our little things. Help us to be open, God. Help us to let you breathe into every area of our life that we've been boxing you out of, God, whether it's the bedroom or the bank account. God, help us to let you breathe into it. Break our hard hearts, God, and help us to be obedient and faithful. Christ's holy name.